politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to fight anew for our life, liberty, and property, just like it is 1776, except it's actually 10 times worse. Could our founders have envisioned an invasion force larger than the entire population of the 13 colonies at the time of our founding. Think about that. That is what we're facing today and so much more. Daniel Hurwitz back here today at CR Podcast. Uh, great to be back. A little bit of a slow start. I was out yesterday in observance of Yom Kippur, uh, but we will try to pack in five days into four days today on Tuesday, September 26. And as always, it's the border numbers, the budget numbers, the vaccine numbers, so much going on on all those fronts, a lot of campaign news. Um, I mean, Trump is just every day another liberal comment, the Lindsey Graham stuff and everything. I'm not going to get to that today. It is a very momentous week, and I don't mean because of the stupid debate that Trump's not showing up to with five other munchkin candidates, uh, so we're not getting the debate we deserve, but I'm referring to the fact that this is going to be the week that will set the table to see if we have enough support within the Republican Party to actually care more about the, 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 the shutdown of the social compact than the partial lapse in funding of a federal government. This is it. So I want to give a brief primer on what's going on on that front and then get to the border, a big border briefing with Todd Benzman, um, because the two are obviously connected. If 11,000 people coming in a day, okay, we're averaging three to four million annualized pace at this point, is not enough to do anything about it, then I don't know what is. I don't know, but, but we're going to go through the details of this and more. First, very excited, we got... Patriot Academy, we have our next handgun defense training course. Okay, so those of you who have gone out on the other courses with me uh, at Front Sight, now Patriot Academy has their own campus and their own course. They've taken the best elements of what we've done before and take and really took it to the next level. Um, they have classes. You go to patriotacademy.com slash Daniel. You could find classes throughout the fall. Okay, these are four-day training courses. You will learn everything from the basics on handgun defense, accurate draw from the holster, how to win a defensive situation. It is fun, and it could save your life. Um, handgun skills, marksmanship, safety awareness, and you'll meet the best patriots. Now, I am going to go to the one on December 18th. So it's right before Christmas, New Year's, um, but not right up there. I mean, you shouldn't get it's, – it's a little bit early for travel problems with the airports. I mean, the airports are never great these days. Um, they are in Fredericksburg, Texas. So those of you in Texas have no excuse anymore. This is not in Nevada anymore. We're doing this in Fredericksburg, Texas. They have their new campus. Everything – Almost everything is prepared, and it is very, very much at a discount, um, really about 25% of the typical cost because they uh, have very generous donors. Um, 
Those of you who are wondering who the mystery man behind this microphone is, well, this is the only time that, as a hermit, I come out of my shell, and I love this course. Now, those of you who have joined me before, don't think that you won't learn anything new. I'm on my seventh time, and every time I learn something new. Also, now that Patriot Academy and Rick Green, they've moved to their own course, they've incorporated some elements of the intermediate course, the handgun skills builder course. So you'll actually learn moving and shooting as well. Now, those of you who never used a handgun, don't panic because they start from the beginning. It's good for all skill levels and it's vital. Again, patriotacademy.com slash Daniel. I will be at the December 18th course, but if you can't make it for that, don't let that deter you from joining another one, patriotacademy.com slash Daniel. Okay, so... Where do, where do we stand? We now have a 90-10, 80-20 liberal majority in the Senate. Okay, so what does that mean? That means that Senate Republicans are working with Chuck Schumer to jam the House and be the first to pass a government funding bill. And listen to this. They don't give a darn about our border. Their number one thing is Ukraine. In fact, Republicans think Biden's $113 billion has not been enough. Oh, and they'll cry about inflation and the debt, <laughs> but uh, they'll, they'll keep that going. We now have, we have Venezuelans planting the Venezuelan flag on our side of the Rio Grande. There's pictures of that now. Uh, yeah, imagine that. You're supposedly fleeing persecution, and you plant the flag of your country of origin that's supposedly persecuting you on our soil. But they don't care about that. Now, the thing is, so bad is their desire to prevent us from having a budget fight and harnessing the attention of the public on things like the border invasion that they're actually willing to forego Ukrainian funding. I mean, new Ukrainian funding for now. So originally, their idea was not only to fund every last thing that the Biden admin has been doing with what they call a so-called clean CR, continuing resolution, they wanted to tack on Biden's $24 billion in new Ukrainian funding. Now they're saying, you know what? That will make it too easy for the House to unify against it. So let's just pass. We're even willing to forgo the Ukrainian funding for now just to be the first ones to pass that CR. And their hope is it will pressure McCarthy, who is already you know, not exactly in our camp, to just say, look, we need to go, go for this. So there's a lot to talk about on that front. I don't have so much time now. Just how we got to this position of the Senate Republicans being, they're not moderate. I mean, they're, they are more passionately in support of Democrat prerogatives than Democrats. I tried for 15 years with primaries. But the Trump endorsed almost every one of these guys. So, you know, we are where we are. But that leads us to the House. We had Congressman Dan Bishop on, who's been holding the line to try to get McCarthy to commit to passing each of the individual appropriation bills with certain conditions, certain spending cuts. So I just want to say this. We're at a point in the House where later today they're going to try to vote on the rule on a rule to vote out to the floor four of the first appropriation bills, agriculture, uh, state and foreign ops, which is like State Department – uh, DOD and Homeland Security. 
Now, there are some good amendments we'll talk about later this week to the agriculture bill because that funds the FDA on defunding vaccines. But it's important to remember that if they don't unify this week behind something, some proposition of we're going to unify behind the individual 12 bills, and maybe in the meantime, we'll be willing to pass a short-term CR that has a lot of reforms that the Democrats won't agree to up front, and we don't care about the budget deadline, and let there be a shutdown, and we're going to power through it. But you have to have a strategy, and you have to have a message. Not that not that I need that. I don't care about a shutdown. But the point is, you won't have a shutdown if you don't have a unifying message, because McCarthy will get scared, the rhinos will get scared, and they'll just, they'll, you know, give in to the uniparty Senate. So I'm just a little bit concerned that some of our allies, whom I generally agree with in the House, are now saying they're going to vote against the rule on even the individual probes bills. Well, didn't you tell McCarthy you want to pass individual probes bill? Well, it still funds aspects of government we don't like. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. There's a hundred million things we don't like. And then within the, each thing, there's to what degree. We have to pick certain objectives. Any government funding bill, you could always vote no because there's something that we don't believe in. But then you get nothing. So meaning at some point, for example, Marjorie Taylor Greene is saying she's going to vote against all these approach bills because they still have the maintenance funding for Ukraine. But, I mean, that's going to be endemic of any bill. If we want to rid it of every last thing we don't like, at the end of the day, there's a four-seat majority. So they got to unify this week behind some sort of strategy because otherwise, if they act like that, McCarthy will just cut them out. That That's my baseline concern with them. But, you know, th- the point is we're facing this problem because the top leaders, all of them, McConnell, Cornyn, Thune, they're all working in the Senate with Chuck Schumer. Some of us tried to prevent that. And um, by the way, by the way, so much is our social compact broken that while they're invading our country, you know what they're going to say? They already announced that during if there's a shutdown, Ukrainian funding is vital. It's unbelievable that they would pay the salaries of thousands of Ukrainians during a shutdown. Corrupt Ukrainians. Think about that. I want you to understand how broken our social compact is. We are so beyond any conventional means of fixing this. The U.S. is going to provide another $522 million for Ukraine's energy system. Energy assistance program. (laughs) you can't make this stuff up. You can't make this stuff up. And even in the House, so we know the Senate is, you know, 90-10 liberal, 130 Republicans support Ukraine. Okay, we have about 130. It's about 58%. Even a year and a half after all the facts came out, Again, it didn't have to be this way. It didn't have to be this way. Just one one quick point, and, and, and this is a show in itself. This is a deep thought in itself, and I've said this before. But I want to freeze frame 
with a live fire legislative budget fight to show you how there are indeed times when more is less, when having more Republicans is less. People always bristle at the thought when I say we need to pledge at some point that we will never vote for rhinos in a general election. Now, not to say that we've done enough in primaries to get them out because we don't, but there's got to be some point where you say no because they have that as leverage. They always know they could screw us no matter what, no matter how, because no matter what will be on their plantation. Whereas when we get our nominees, they sabotage them in the general election. And at some point, you got to do it back to them. And some of that is also because just you have to have leverage over them, which we don't have. But some of it is also strategic. They're, right now, right now, it's not a 51-49 Senate. It's 90-10 or, to be generous, 80-20. So we are far away from a majority. We'll never get it. So any, any strategic vision you have to change anything in the country has to work without the understanding of the GOP controlling the Senate because we don't. So at some point, quality is better than quantity. But moreover, when you have Republicans actively working with Democrats, it marginalizes our ability. Because what's our only hope? A budget fight. The leverage of a shutdown. Okay, the House you control with a simple majority. It's actually worse. It's better to have a simple minority with conservative Republicans in the Senate than a larger number of them with bad guys because they subvert us. So it, what it does is, let's say you lead into a, a government shutdown, imagine you have one side you know, in the House, and then you have in the Senate, both parties agree on something. Well, it marginalizes our side. They actually work to score points for the left in a way they couldn't other, otherwise achieve. And then, of course, obviously... We're out of time. No country could survive this degree of invasion. So I want to talk about this with our guest, Todd Benzman. First, our interview segment is sponsored today by our friends at Birch Gold. <laughs> Look, Republicans ain't cutting spending. They can't even cut spending for Ukraine. They want more. So we will have inflation. We will have destabilization of the dollar. We will have, I mean, by the way, the Federal Reserve, I have a whole piece out um, today about the Federal Reserve itself, even though it's the money printer, they actually are running over a $100 billion deficit for the first time since since it was created in 1913. Wait until they can no longer sell the treasuries. China, Japan, Japan divesting from U.S. treasuries. Now is the time to diversify with gold. Um, what I recommend is Birch Gold, because they have physical assets they hold for you in four different locations. And particularly, you could convert. So you can get your about 6500 a year you could put into a IRA. You get a tax deduction. Don't put it into BlackRock. Don't put it into Fidelity or Vanguard. Put it into something of value. Text Daniel to 989898 today. Birch has a A-plus rating from Better Business Bureau has helped countless of our listeners convert their savings into something more than fiat uh, nothingness. So again, text Daniel to 989898 to claim your free info kit, uh, and they'll, they'll give you a phone number. You call them brilliant, brilliant economists. These are not some sort of like foreign customer service people. Great people to talk to, again, at 
Daniel. Text Daniel to 989898 today. So, folks, I've run out of adjectives to use to describe the border. And no, it's not a border crisis. Crisis connotes something that is natural, you know, a hurricane, an earthquake. Uh, This is not natural. This did not happen by accident. It is being done on purpose by our own government, by our own government. And, And again, I want you guys to understand, we did have in the Declaration of Independence one of the indictments against King George was the fact that he incited, I guess, the Indians to come and raid the frontier. Uh, But I don't think they could have envisioned, (laughs) again, a population. We are averaging for one year a population of foreign nationals that is greater than the size of the population of the United States during that time, or the nascent uh, country. And every day, it's, it's more than the next. I mean, yesterday they announced it was the... Biggest day ever, 11,000 at the border. And you look at them, predominantly young males, a lot of belligerents, don't exactly look like people that are going to be kissing the dust of the United States and, you know, proud to salute the flag. What does this do on the interior of the country? And then also, as we debate this so-called prospect of a government shutdown, we have the ultimate shutdown of a federal government here, Keep in mind that Biden is creating his own private visa program where he just flies in hundreds of thousands of people to the airport. So it's eerie that a couple weeks ago we had Todd Benzman on. He was warning about this as they were saying, oh, well, the border has gotten quieter. okay?" and then Republicans just forgot about it. And he warned this is exactly what was happening. Now he has the data and now you can't miss what's going on at the border Hey, Todd, boy, that didn't take long. Welcome back to Blaze Media. Thank you for having me. I mean, I wish I could um, sit here and just tell you how brilliant I am, but it kind of was obvious. You know, I mean, anybody could have predicted or should should have predicted this. The intelligence community a year ago was warning of this after Title 42 went away. The intel community said Uh, We should probably expect anywhere from 10,000 to as high as 18,000 a day once Title 42 ended. Uh, We wrote uh, over at the center, I wrote columns, my colleagues all wrote columns. Everybody just said, well, there's going to be a brief pause because immigrants wait to see uh, when there's a new policy shift what's going to happen with the vanguards that test it. And we all knew that that's, we've seen this time and time again, that big policy change, uh, short-term pause. And then once they figure out that no harm will come to them, they pour through. So, I mean, it wasn't very hard. If you understand the, 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 the basic physics of immigration to say, well, there'll be a pause for a month or two and then they'll pour through and that's what's happening. The intelligence community estimates were entirely correct. Uh, everything that they predicted, the 17 agencies uh, predicted, is now coming true right on time, just like we said, just like they said. And it's just going to stay like this all the way through to the end of the, uh, the Biden term, at least. Um, the only way to stop it is with a big change in policy again, and it doesn't look like they plan to do that. We're looking at 
We had last week a 14,000 day. We had an 11,000 day. We're having lots of 10,000 a day apprehensions. So that's right in the pocket of what the uh, Intel community said was going to happen. That's going to be looking like about 300,000 a month going forward. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about three and a half million at an annualized pace. Um, I, I mean, it, you could and that, not, and that, Yeah. And that doesn't even count the visa invention, the, the invented visa program of CBP-1, where they're bringing people in over the bridges still and flying them into U.S. airports all sight unseen. Those numbers are vast, too, need to be added and so does the gotaways, which are just a sharp upswing of people running through because the Border Patrol is off the line now in all the processing centers, desperately moving people into the interior as fast as they could possibly wave them in. So the numbers are really going to be astounding from this point forward to the end of the Biden term. And and again, I mean, you literally had it in the title of your book. It's still available for purchase. Overrun. Um, you've been warning about this for years. When you were a reporter, when you worked uh, Texas DPS, and by the way, and also at Ben's, Benzman Todd. For those of you who want to follow the indispensable work that you do, your videos that you put out as well when you go to the border. Um, Overrun. I mean, you've covered this issue most of your adult life in some way, and you've dealt with it. Give us a sense qualitatively, what is different about what we're seeing now? Well, uh, what we're seeing now is, uh, well, let me back up a little bit. Title 42, uh, which was the pandemic health measure to push back all immigrants that Border Patrol caught immediately into Mexico, that was the last thin membrane or I guess, uh, you know, kind of low speed bump on the uh, super highway that the Biden administration created policy wise to just pretty much let everybody in. Uh, by the end of Title 42, they were still able to kind of push. They were still kind of flying people home and pushing people back at about 30 percent toward the end. So only 70% of everybody came to the border, got in the 30% that were getting pushed back. It was a speed bump because, you know, they have to pay the cartels again and again, and it's a little bit of a financial sort of disincentive, right? But the new way, the new post title 42 lets in 100% or I don't ever want to say 100%. Let's just say 99% of everybody instead of 70%. And that good news has spread throughout the globe. Every country on earth has that information now that if you come to the border one way or another, the Americans are letting you in. And that is something brand new and different in American history and the American experience. It, it puts the United States as the only nation on earth that has no border. The only nation that has ever really existed through the history of time <laughs> that has had no border. We're like this grand experiment in, in world history of nationhood to 
just simply say, yeah, everybody who comes to the border gets in. So, so you're um, saying it's not just the border. You, you reported on this and you warned about this, and now you've got some data over 220,000 flown into airports. So, so what does this mean that anyone from any country in the world could essentially say, hey, I'm going to fly to a certain airport, fill out an application on an app, and say, I'm seeking parole in the U.S., and boom, they could just fly into an airport without a visa? Yeah, well, there are, there are four, you know, the administration is very proud to have, an, to have uh, pursued and implemented a policy that they call lawful pathways. They created lawful pathways to enter the country over the border so that they're not entering illegally between ports of entry. So, so there are these different ways. Like, for example, you can come to the border and on a phone app – uh, apply for an appointment to see CBP on the other side and, and they'll parole you in. Uh, uh, I have a piece today that shows that they're paroling in 99.97% of all applicants who, who go through this. There's like no vetting. Nobody gets turned down. 698 people got turned down out of 225,000. They all know that. So you can come to the border uh, uh, make an appointment on the app. And if you're willing to wait, uh, you'll get in. You'll just get in. You could stay home if you're from five or six different nationalities, eight different nationalities, and apply through CBP-1 to fly into the United States and join family if you've got relatives. Uh, and they've flown in hundreds of thousands that way. Uh, you could cross illegally just cross in and turn yourself in and we'll let you in. So those are like the three main ways. I mean, you just one way or another, you can get into this country. It's astounding. They know it. They can't believe they can't believe it. So, so if you're from Venezuela doing. now, you don't even have to risk making the trek. Um, you could just apply for this, fly to one another, fly out of one of these airports and, I mean, almost everyone has a relative by now after all these years of legal and illegal immigration. And is there a specific airport they go to or just whatever they choose and they just flash their phone at the CBP officer? Well, that information, you know, we're still trying to get. We have litigation on a FOIA request of mine that is in – we're still in, we're in progress right now trying to get the names of the airports both the departure airports and the interior U S airports, they can, you know, they've flown in 220,000, uh, over the past year this way, uh, right into 43 different American airports. Uh, so we don't really know exactly which ones, but the point is, is, is that whether you use one of these lawful pathways that they've invented without Congress or you just decide, I don't want to wait the few weeks that it takes or the couple months that it takes to do that. I'll just come to the border and cross illegally. You're getting in that way, too. Uh, we, we are deporting virtually no one. We are applying virtually no consequences whatsoever for illegal crossings. We promised that we were going to go full Trump on everybody back in May. But they quickly found out that none of those were actually being applied. 
And so that's why today you have like a, you know, this month, I think probably a hundred thousand people coming through the Darien gap, uh, the biggest number ever in the history ever recorded. Last month, there were 80,000, 85,000 came through the Darien Gap. Uh, that's eight times the number annually that normally comes through the Gap, you know, seven or 8,000. And, 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 Todd, eight. I just, we, we've had Michael on, Michael Yan on. People, I think, know what it is. I just want to elaborate on the, on the Darien Gap a little bit as you're talking about this. These are people south of Panama coming up. So meaning all those numbers don't include anyone from Mexico, Guatemala, El Salvador, Honduras, usually even Cuba and Haiti. I mean, some of them might wind up in the Darien Gap, but a lot of them, they're they're north of that choke point. So all those are still coming. But these, so they're coming from everywhere, right? But I get the impression that every, every wave has a certain... Uh, flavor to it. You get the Mexican flavor, you have the Central American Triangle flavor. Here I'm seeing Venezuela is the 800-pound gorilla in the room. Who are these people? Well, there, there, there were about 7 million Venezuelans who fled their country seven, eight, nine years ago. Uh, they moved into 17 different other countries around Venezuela and they've been living there safely and prosperously for many years in the Caribbean, uh, you know, think Colombia, Ecuador, uh, Chile, uh, you know, really all, all over Latin America and even in Spain. So that diaspora was in, <laughs> was, was pretty much just stayed in place for the Trump years because Nobody wanted to get stuck in Mexico. You know, if you tried to come in over during the Trump years, you were likely to get pushed back into Mexico for years on your bogus asylum claim. So um, under the Biden administration, these Venezuelans uh, said, well, wow, the door's open down there. They're not they're not blocking any of us. They're taking all of us. So they all have just been emptying out of these safe third countries these prosperous, safe uh, places and heading for the border and then claiming, I can't go back to my original country, Venezuela, because it's terrible. You know, and we're like, oh, okay. You know, we're just like idiots. An um, entire because- diaspora. You're saying, you're saying there's an unlimited supply, I guess particularly in Colombia, which has the most of them, and they're the closest to the Darien Gap, and they're all coming from there. And they're all, I mean, there's an unlimited supply on this conveyor belt uh, to continue coming. Yeah, plus people, Venezuelans that actually live in Venezuela are starting to come now. I've started to meet down on the trails and along the border, Venezuelans that said that they came directly from Caracas. And that's, that's relatively new. The vast majority of Venezuelans that are entering the border have not been living in Venezuela for just many, many years. But um, we just, the administration just granted something called temporary protective status on uh, 450,000 Venezuelans that have entered the country illegally recently. Um, Temporary protective status blocks uh, the U.S. from returning or deporting Venezuelans to Venezuela it's supposed to be like, oh, Venezuela is so terrible, we can't possibly deport them back there. Except that 
almost none of those 450,000 came from Venezuela. They've been living in these, all these other countries for years, which is a conveniently overlooked fact about TPS. It's just an amnesty by any other name for, you know, people that, that do not qualify for nor deserve humanitarian yep. protection at all. And, and it's they one of the many deserve. ways we allowed the system to just, you know, move away from from statutory intent. Obviously, TPS was primarily just simply you're on a tourist visa vacationing in Disney World, you know, from some country, and then they have an earthquake. So, you know, your 90-day tourist visa or whatever is runs due. Like, hey, you know, you don't have to go back for another six months because you have a natural disaster there. Um, it had nothing to do with illegal immigration, cleansing their status, and all this stuff. So right. now all these people could stay. Now, you, you, you look at the souls and hearts of these people. I, rem- I remember watching in 2018, 2019, when you had primarily the wave from the northern Central American, you know, those three tri- triangle countries, Honduras, El Salvador, Guatemala particularly. And, you know, I, I didn't see most of them to be belligerent. Um, they were a lot of women and children, a lot of families. Um, again, very impoverished, has nothing to do with asylum, not in the interest of the American people, very harmful in many ways. Uh, but, you know, they didn't look belligerent. I look at least at the pictures of particularly these Venezuelans. I see the tattoos. I see military-age men. I see guys that are like, it almost looks like we're going to get you. Are, are you seeing that? Well, there's, I mean, even among Central Americans, uh, there's always been this element. Yes, I, I've been, I've seen exactly what you're talking about. I've been in the middle of, you know, you know, big kind of confrontations between Mexican police, riot police, and, you know, immigrants down there. And of course, you know, I see the same video with everybody else. The caravans were coming through uh, one after another, they would put those guys up in the front and they would just charge the police lines and batter the cops into submission. Uh, and then all the women and children would gleefully run right through the line, the broken line to the next police blockade up ahead. So, I mean, you've always had that. I remember um, uh, visiting a, um, ceramics factory in Piedras Negras where a couple thousand caravanners uh, were, were, were being held. And I guess the day before I got there, they, the, the, those, you know, they had a bunch of gang guys that just burned mattresses and rioted and um, they moved them all out. And, and, and so you, you always have that. Haitians are notorious. Um, you know, I don't mean to besmirch an entire you know, oh, yeah. nation, but I'm just saying that, you know, uh, Haitians is anything, you know, and, and in their defense, you know, in Haiti, the only way you can ever get anything is to riot. No, so, you know, it's kind of built. I, in I love the, the way you said that the only way you can get anything is to riot. I mean, that is the thing you bring in certain things that are endemic of an area for a reason. And, and I, I want you to elaborate on, on a, a term that really, and I know you have used this before others that have covered the border, but desperation, when you bring in a bunch of desperation and the entire culture that undergirds a desperate life, what does that do? What does that do to our communities? Well, uh, you know, we, 
I think that we're seeing some of that. You know, we we are seeing a kind of criminality in this country. I'm not going to say that it's widespread. Actually, I don't know how widespread it is, but I mean, it's anecdotal at this point where, you know, you have just really heinous kinds of crime, you know, guy, uh, you know, quintuply deported Mexican national goes next door and slaughters uh, five Hondurans, including women and children, mothers and children. Uh, You have, you know, a Haitian, in Florida decides to, he sees a couple of, um, Anglo, uh, bike riders and, uh, uh, you know, a couple and goes up there and just slashes their throats and they're just bleeding to death. They bled to death in a pool of their own blood on the beach. Or you have, um, uh, a, an unaccompanied minor who wasn't really a minor, uh, <laughs> just absolutely, uh, you know, slash his patron to death in Florida with, with a knife and the cops were able to track him by, by the blood pool, by the blood uh, footprints uh, going away from the house. And uh, you know, here in Texas, we had a case where, you know, an illegal uh, alien strapped two young women to, uh, to beds in his house and repeatedly raped them all to death until they're dead. Uh, murdered them and just that kind of thing uh, is uh, you know I mean there's there are reports of that all over the country that sort of thing but it's I don't think anybody has quantitatively uh, addressed it because nobody really keeps track of it that way except for Texas and and, and I think the harbinger of what you you've reported you've moved from the border to the interior with some of your coverage um, it must feel pretty satisfying in some ways. You warned about Colony Ridge in your book, Overrun, and now people are starting to talk about it. You had that big Daily Wire story. You had um, a presidential candidate, Ron DeSantis, talk about the need to shut down Colony Ridge, where you have, and we're, we're, we clearly have more of these that we don't know about, and we're, we, we have to. Just the sheer number that's that's come in the last two years this is going to pile up, not just in New York City, but in some isolated areas. Um, anything new on your Colony Ridge coverage? Well, uh, you know, I had uh, I dedicated the final chapter of my book to Colony Ridge. Uh, and, you know, gradually it has sort of, you know, started to pique a lot of interest. Uh, yesterday, I think the uh, lieutenant governor of Texas flew over Colony Ridge and is calling for an investigation, is calling for uh, more law enforcement, for Greg Abbott to go in there and and do more uh, to combat the cartels that law enforcement says is operating in that area with relative impunity. Uh, It's a no-go zone, in my opinion. I've been disputed on that, but I've also been there three or four times reporting on the ground talk to a lot of law enforcement and they it's law enforcement is pretty thin in there and the feds will not touch the area. Um, so, you know, I think that that is a target rich, uh, you know, criminally target rich, uh, area. Somebody should do something. It looks like it's starting to gain, uh, momentum for yes. at least law enforcement to get in there and start. I mean, yesterday, the, um, you know, superintendent of Cleveland, Texas Independent School District, which is the 
school district that I featured in my book uh, because it grew from 3,500 K through 12 to 13,000 now, and it's headed in a couple of years to 20,000, all uh, Spanish-speaking ESL kids uh, with a 55% uh, you know, lack of uh, English proficiency, which is extraordinarily high. Uh, the superintendent just yesterday put out a Spanish language only warning to the community of Colony Ridge, noting that four kids just OD'd on fentanyl in the schools. And there's video going around about it. And uh, that's the kind of thing that is, I mean, it's not, I wouldn't say that's strictly limited to Colony Ridge to the, to that school, but but it certainly falls into line with lots of other kinds of social problems that are associated with high concentrations of foreign national kids coming from countries that, that are, um, yep. Yeah. And, and, and I think, I think, in many ways, your work on that is even more important than the border because, you know, the feds obviously are part of the invasion force. They're not going to stop it because they agree with it and they're encouraging it. So highlighting and at least in some of these red states, the need for state law enforcement to do something, um, it really was your work because what was shocking to me is that even after uh, that individual was was caught um, killing five people in that community it did not raise the ire of anyone. I mean, I didn't even know the context. I, I've, I never heard of Cleveland, Texas. And I didn't realize that you ironically wrote about it. Uh, I didn't get that far in your book. So, you know, you should have put it up, up front because, you know, you were focused more on the border. But this is really where it is. And I always tell people, I mean, we go through this with the excess death, death numbers now with the vaccine. And look, you can live in a country of 330 million people people a, a world of 8 billion and you could lose 17 million in a world uh we're talking about this last week and you wouldn't know and it, it's a similar thing here i mean the numbers of illegals are shocking but you know people go on live their lives and 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 they don't they don't know they don't see it and i think this is what is really really important which is what i want to end with is is state state enforcement because this is what we need to be doing you know last time we spoke it looked like texas was beefing up their effort uh, it looks like Eagle Pass is kind of the the big hot point, although it's all hot. Uh, what is Texas really doing? It's always hard to tell. So the the newest thing, uh, I, I say new, it's been going on since May, that the Texas Department of Public Safety and, and Greg Abbott are doing is something called Hold the Line which is that they string miles and miles of, of concertina wire uh, along the, uh, banks, the bank of the river that they have denuded of all vegetation and cover. And then they have their uh, troopers and National Guard physically like, like NFL linemen block the immigrants at the riverbank and leave them in the river. So they're stuck in the river, and this has proven really effective in um, hotspot areas. Um, so the most recent development with that, they've been doing that at Eagle Pass uh, to, to pretty, you know, uh, mixed reviews because – or mixed results because, because there, there are Border Patrol agents that work side-by-side side with Texas – 
or that are in and around Texas. And if immigrants can get to a, a border patrol agent, those agents will bring them in and let them into the country. So they're right next to each other working at completely opposite uh, uh, ends, right? Texas is blocking yep. Biden, bringing them in. And so you still had a lot of immigrants being brought in. And, that and I way. want people to bookmark that point because – you know, that's why any effort to merely throw money at the border, oh, I need more border assets, border patrol, without banning catch and release and all these programs um, and parole, all you're going to get is actually a facilitation of this because funding border agents means that you're funding uh, not just the facilitation of the invasion, but the undermining of, of even Texas's ability to do anything about it. Uh, this is, I mean, the breach of the social compact here, literally, um, you know, I've, I've been talking about the fact that we have thousands of local governments, you know, because everyone's talking about a potential government shutdown. I said, look, thousands of local governments will be operating. It's the federal government. That's all we have. Federal government. Why do we need a federal government? This at its core is why you need it. And they're doing the opposite. Um, and any, any closing words before we sew up and where people could find your latest pieces? You have a couple of them out. Um, well, just just to really quickly finish on the Texas thing, because there was something uh, really interesting about that. The the immigrants, I don't know who organized this, but somebody on the other side organized a mass bonsai rush of 3000 immigrants who uh, just plowed right over the Texans, right through their razor wire and into the Border Patrol hands. Right. This just happened last week. It looked like it was going to keep happening, that they would mass bum rush, bonsai rush right through the lines. But Abbott's doing this other thing where he has his troopers do 100% safety inspections on all trucks coming off the bridges from Mexico, which essentially closes international trade. And he did that again. He closed the bridge, 100% truck inspections, and forced the Mexicans on the other side to disperse the immigrants and move them out of the area. And so he, it was very fascinating how you know a state governor is able to impact bilateral relations that way. You know, close the close the commerce, close commerce until you can you know do do our bidding over there on your side. Anyway, to reach me um, or follow me, uh, toddbensman.com is a good place. Uh, my um, social media is bensmantodd at X and um, toddbensman at Getter. And I also am on uh, Truth Social. And the book is Overrun. Overrun. And you can buy that anywhere books are sold. Well, I mean, Todd, th this is indispensable. And, and again, I always love work that drives policy change. And I think, you know, you just need to keep up on some of this interior reporting. It is so, so important. Um, your stuff is everywhere. It needs to get more notoriety. It finally is. And I'm glad we could provide a platform here. Terrific briefing as always. Uh, sadly, I know we're going to have you back soon, but we always enjoy you. Not the issue, but but we enjoy having you. Take care. Thanks, that border. So again, that was the one and only indispensable Todd Benzman. Um, two comments just on that interview. Number one, you see, it's interesting, we talked about negative efficacy 
of the Senate GOP, how you could sometimes elect a Republican over a Democrat and that individual could turn out to be worse for your cause overall than a Democrat. It's, it's a similar parallel concept he was saying with Border Patrol. It's actually better not to have it at this point. They more efficiently bring these people in and often they would be able to be thwarted. Again, it's hard to tell with some of this cat and mouse game with Greg Abbott how much he's doing for show and how much he's doing as an enduring policy. It's still unclear. But what, what's definitely certain is that CBP is undermining it. So I, I want them to be shut down. Um, that's first of all. Uh, second of all, interior enforcement. I mean, this is all about the interior. And the biggest point I want to drive about the borders, this is not something that, that we can just offer a talking point. Oh, look at these numbers. It's crazy. This is really a problem. You can't survive like this. A country can't survive. What are we going to do about it? Obviously, we have the budget fight. We'll see what happens. By the way, I'm, I'm watching now. Senate Republicans are tweeting out 7.6 million illegals came to the border since Biden uh, was president. There's no self-awareness there. These same people are undermining our only leverage. And again, House Republicans need to unite behind a common message. I don't care what it is, but I just don't want to be at this situation where we're never going to support a CR even if it has a bunch of good stuff in it. It's not so much the vehicle, it's just what you're fighting for, like we talked about on Friday. But I just want to say, interior enforcement, it's all about the states. There is no way a state could not have the authority to block illegals. I'm sick of hearing this business, oh, we can't do this. We can't do this. We can't deport. Did they have the power to block Americans from other states traveling uh, to their state because of COVID? By the way, CBP announced three more illegals had, uh, uh, I don't know if they were kids, were caught with tuberculosis, which is something we've, you know, again, it's not vaccines that keep things out. That's what we've learned. It's It's sanitation. It's standard of living, and we bring in people from every corner of the world now. It's a complete joke. Think about this. The same public health leftists that are saying we need to live like China and North Korea because of different pathogens, they're bringing in people from every single third world country imaginable in one shot. And finally, it's important to, to make the case the Constitution is not a suicide pact, even if it precluded states from deporting, which it doesn't. But I just want to make that very clear. You reach a point where, because in general, we're at this point on a lot of policy issues. We can't allow the Constitution to be shredded, and then the only time it's used is to hamstring us from fighting their outcomes that were only secured through unconstitutional means. Let's not forget. Pop quiz. The Constitution is not a suicide pact. You know where that came from? Justice Robert Jackson in Terminalo v. Chicago, 1949 case. 
And that was actually dealing with an American right. It was like this fascist speaker, um, you know, and he was stirring the public anger, inviting dispute, bringing unrest. And there was an ordinance against such speech. And that's where Justice Jackson applied that. You know, that's an American in America, and that's freedom of speech. He famously said, the choice is not between order and liberty. It is between liberty with order and anarchy without either. There is a danger that if the court does not temper its doctrinaire logic with a little practical wisdom, it will convert the Constitutional Bill of Rights into a suicide pact. And despite the flagrant constitutional violation by the city of Chicago of rights of U.S. citizens, Jackson felt that the majority had reached the point that's the majority opinion of accepting the doctrine that civil liberties means the removal of all restraints to re- maintain order. And the reality is that he was he was uh, in dissenting there, but then. What what is it? I think it was 1951, Finer v. New York. Just two years after that Chicago case, the court actually did side with the police in Syracuse, New York, who arrested a man for inciting a mob in a similar case. Irving Finer caused a riot in Syracuse in 1949 um, when he argued black people need to rise up in arms and basically you know fight for equality and things like that. And he was arrested, charged with breaching the public peace after police told him three times to stop. And this time a majority actually said that, you know, civil liberties cannot make governments powerless to prevent a breach of the peace or to use considered judgment faced with a crisis. I actually, I actually remember, if I'm not mistaken, some courts did use that in 2020 in upholding the COVID stuff. Now, I don't, I don't like things like that in general, obviously, and I think none of you will, especially in the era we live in. But when you're talking about foreign nationals to just trot across the border, my gosh, no such right exists. So the notion that it's going to, this, this just federal responsibility over immigration is going to be a suicide pact, it's not even constitutional is insane. That is the case we need to build. We need to start bringing this more towards the interior. Let me know if there's there's other cases like Colony Ridge that I'm missing. I know there's people that have emailed me from parts of Kansas, western Kansas, Norman Rockwell's America that is just full of these people. And I'm telling you, you know, over time, see, in America generally the cities are overrun, so you move out to the country. The illegals are going to get you there. This is something that cannot stand. And what's ironic is, unlike the vaccine stuff or Ukraine, this is something every Republican claims to understand. Look at the numbers. Look at what's going on. And yet, even when we all agree upon a talking point, it is just that talking point deep and we don't do anything now is the time to draw a line in the sand what greater shutdown of our government of our society than having a government for the first time in human history 
invade its own people. That needs to be the rallying cry. Not that there aren't other issues, but I think that should lead us into fighting on every other budget bill. We'll get to some of that. We'll cover. We'll see what happens with the House appropriation bills. I'll try to spotlight any amendment votes and things like that. I know you turn to me for substance, and that's why I turn to you to send this show to every one of your friends and relatives, neighbors, colleagues. We need to spread the word on the issues that matter, the way they matter, the time they matter. If you so like this show, well, please give us a five-star rating on iTunes with a comment. certainly helps us with the algorithms there. And, uh, yeah, I know it's already, you know, late Tuesday. Lots going on. We'll try to pack it in at the end of this week. Uh, thanks for bearing with me. Thanks for your support. Till tomorrow. God bless y'all. Thank you for listening.